0: All right.
1: Good morning and welcome to church. We're so glad you joined us this morning. If you're here in person, in the back of your seat pocket, you'll find a Connect card. If you could just take a moment and fill that out, we really appreciate it. Each week as a staff, we um, take time to pray for you or praise alongside you if you have a prayer request or a praise. And if you're online, there's a little box you can check and um, click on that link and fill us out a message that way as well. Um, and if you are new here, let me take a minute to introduce myself. I'm Miss Becky, the children's ministry leader here. And the reason you're seeing me today is because it's a fifth Sunday. And that means that the children are joining us in the service here this morning. In Yorkshire, Fifth Sundays are Family Sundays. The children join us, and it's a time for them to experience being part of the whole church family. It helps them to create a sense of belonging. But that being said, it may not be as fun for them here as it is in the treehouse, so they may get a little antsy and ask questions and wiggle around, and that's okay. We welcome the joy and the life that they bring, but if they need to step out at any time, please feel free to do so. And I also have a couple more announcements. Our team basketball program registers registration is officially closed with a new grand total of 177 players 177 kids and our games will start on January 13th. Kim has been hard at work putting together the team, setting the schedule, and ordering the t-shirts, but the work has only begun. Pastor Mark will be preparing the gym floor this coming week, and we also need greeters, end of the day cleaners, and concession stand helpers. So if you're interested in helping in any of these ways, can you please mark it on your Connect card or contact the church office? Um, And the men's breakfast has been put on hold until April due to team basketball. But if you do show up, guys, I'm sure Pastor Mark will find something for you to do that Saturday morning. Um, The next senior lunch is Monday, January 15th at noon. It's a great time. We have some yummy food, a good message, great conversations, and laughs. And Bev might get you to put on a funny hat and take a picture, too. Just a warning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Pastor Mark and Shelley are away visiting their family this week. So Dr. Alex will be joining us this morning and giving the message. And uh, one more thing, I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to worship with you and be a part of this wonderful church family. As we look back on this past year, we can see the many ways in which God has blessed us and guided us through the challenges that we have faced. So let's step into this new year with joy in our hearts as we trust God to continue his work in us and through us. Thank you. Will you please join us in worshiping this morning?
0: Please stand. Woo!
2: thinking about the prayer this morning and I think about a year, the year's end and how a year is a cycle and I kept thinking about how life's events are a cycle and it brought me to um, uh, the verse in Ecclesiastes and this morning, will you join me in prayer? Lord, your word says, there's an appointed time for everything. And there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what's planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to die, a time to throw stones, a time to gather, a time to embrace, a time to shun embracing, a time to search, a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. Lord, your word says our times are in your hands. Your word says you are a God with us. And your word says you hear our prayers. Thank you for walking us through the days and times of this past year and all that means to each one of us. And as we prepare and pray for the days ahead, thank you that your word says that you are a God of peace. May we find comfort in that knowing that you have made everything appropriate in its time. Amen. And today's scripture is from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you.
3: Well, good morning. Hoping that you have all had a uh, happy and healthy and blessed Christmas season. Uh, You probably saw me wearing the mask this morning. Our family was visited by our old friend COVID over uh, the Christmas holiday. But uh, people are recovering and and we're we're pushing through. So uh, I'd like to ask you to pray with me as we begin. Uh, I'm going to say more of thee, Lord, and I'll ask you to respond with less of me. Let's pray. More of Thee, Lord, less of me. More of Thee, O Lord, less of me. More of Thee, O Lord, less of me. God, we ask that only Your words would be spoken, only Your words heard, and only Your words received this morning. Amen. So the title of today's talk is The Solution for Resolution Confusion. And I'd like to uh, start our time this morning with a story from uh, his book, Lion and Lamb, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. Brennan Manning Manning tells this story of a man who was dying of cancer. And as often happens in such situations, uh, the daughter of the dying man asked the local minister to come and pray with him in his final days. And as the minister arrived, he noticed that there was an empty chair by the man's bedside. And the minister walked in and said, oh, hello, sir, I, I guess you were expecting me. And the man said, no, who the heck are you? And the minister said, well, I, I'm the local minister. Your daughter asked me to come and visit with you. I assumed that since you had this chair sitting here, you, you had put it out for me and you were waiting for me to, to come and speak with you. And the man said, oh, yeah, the chair. Let me tell you about the chair. So the man went on to describe how he had been raised in church, but he'd never felt able to speak with Christ in prayer. And he expressed this this dilemma to the local priest. And the priest gave him a copy of the book uh, entitled Prayer by the Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. The man said he tried to read the book, but he needed the dictionary to look up 12 words on the first three pages. And so that book only served to push him further from his uh, pursuit of prayer. And he, he brought the book back to the, re, to the priest and returned it and said, thanks for nothing. <clears throat> and so from that point forward, he, he didn't really try to pray again for many years. And then upon getting the cancer diagnosis, he expressed his desire uh, to pray to one of his friends. And his friend said, look, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. So here's what I suggest. Sit down in a chair, put an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus sitting in that chair. It's not, it's not like it's spooky or something. Jesus promised, I'll be with you always. I'll be with you all of your days. So just speak to him and listen the same way that we're talking right now. And so the man took his friend's suggestion and told the minister that he liked it so much that he started doing it a couple of hours each day but he was always careful not to let his daughter see him talking to an empty chair lest she decide he needed to go to the psych ward. The minister was really moved by the story, and he encouraged the man to continue this practice. He anointed the man with oil and prayed with him and then returned to the church. Two days later, the man's daughter called to say that the man had passed away. And the minister asked the daughter, well, does it seem like he was at peace at the end? And after some hemming and hawing, the the woman said, yeah, but there was something a little strange that happened. In fact, it's beyond strange, it's really weird. Apparently just before Daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on the chair next to his bed. As the first Sunday of the new year, this Sunday can hold multiple important meanings for us. This coming Saturday will be the day of Epiphany, which celebrates the arrival of the Magi to give gifts and worship the baby Jesus. In 1775, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement uh, in which the free Methodist denomination has its roots, uh, he began to use the new year as a time for covenant renewal, uh, a time for renewing our relationship with Jesus, remembering that he's right there with us each and every moment. And that's the kind of service that I want us to focus on today. When I think about New Year's, I think about New Year's resolutions, as as many of you probably do as well. You've undoubtedly heard people proclaim, New Year, new me, right? People want to lose weight, travel more, find a job of their dreams, get rich, spend more time with their family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of resolution makers begin the year with passion and gusto and commitment to their goals. But then what happens? It slowly fizzles out as the demands of everyday life take over, right? So I want to ask you a question. Uh, This was posed by by a man named J.D. Walt in his introduction uh, to a booklet he wrote about John Wesley's covenant renewal service. Walt says, Would you rather resolve once again to try harder to do more to reach higher, to be better and lighter, only to run out of gas again by Valentine's Day? Or would you rather try something different this year? Our resolutions and resolve aren't bad, just futile. What if we started out this year on our knees, reminding one another of the mercy, grace, and faithfulness of God? What if we gave up on reaching for the stars and found ourselves bowing down to the ground before the one true and living God? What if, instead of refiring our confidence in ourselves, we renewed our faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit? What if we began this year with repentance, realigning our minds and hearts and lives according to the things that matter most? Well, that would be a New Year's revolution. Just like the man who recaptured his relationship with Jesus through exercising his prayer life with an empty chair... So we can recapture, realign, and understand that Jesus is with us always if we're willing to stay connected to him. We can renew our covenant with Jesus Christ to ensure that we are healthy branches that are being fed by the vine. In the scripture passage that was read for us this morning, Jesus was speaking with his followers and he he described uh, four different characters, if you will. Uh, There's Jesus himself, who is the true vine. There's God the Father, who is the vine grower. There are healthy branches which bear fruit, and there are unhealthy branches that bear no fruit. And so these are are some of the subjects that we're going to be looking at this morning. So let's start with Jesus, the true vine. Why does he call himself the true vine? He calls himself this because any other entity claiming to be the life-giving vine is really just a life-taking vine that won't allow its branches to produce fruit. Jesus was actually contrasting himself with the Old Testament law and the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel, under the law, was not able to produce fruit on their own merits, and they failed time and time again to follow the will of God. Jesus, on the other hand, is able to produce fruit in his followers. Other people, other ideologies, other pledged allegiances in which we put our faith, hope, and trust are only going to lead us astray. When we try to find other things that claim to give us life, we're being deceived. Jesus is the only true vine, the only one who can possibly give life. A quote attributed to Jesus elsewhere in Scripture is that you can't serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. You can't serve something else and remain connected to the true vine. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in prejudice. You can't serve God in political ideology. If people are too busy serving those things, the the cares of this world, the lure of wealth, people aren't going to be focused on the life-giving love of God. In fact, even you know, if it's expedient to the pursuit of those things that they're worried about in this present world, many people may flat out deny the radical love of God in order to rationalize the mistreatment, oppression, and exploitation of others in their pursuit of power. And so in relation to Jesus as the true vine, we also have the image of God the Father as the vine grower. The vine grower has one main goal, right? He wants to produce as much fruit as possible. He wants that vine to yield as many grapes as possible. In chapter 5 of the book of Isaiah, God's depicted as a vine grower who uh, desires to grow grapes with the nation of Israel. And this section of Isaiah is called the Song of the Vineyard. And Isaiah says of God, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stone and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. God tends the vine and cares for the vine, and yet all that grow are wild grapes which aren't fit for human consumption. And this bad fruit represents disobedience, injustice, unrighteousness. Any vine other than the life-giving vine of Jesus is going to lead us to disobedience and to treat others unjustly and to act in ways that are contrary to righteousness. And in response to the bad fruit on the rotten vine, God declares that he's going to remove his protection and allow that vineyard to be trampled into a wasteland. But the true vine, Jesus, is different from that vine. And we see here a mutuality between God the Father and God the Son, between the vine and the vine grower. Without an attentive vine grower, the vine will be overrun by dead and fruitless branches. Without a quality vine, the vine grower will never be able to grow the fruit that he desires. And then in relation to the vine and the vine grower, we have these two different types of branches. Now, I don't know anything at all about farming, But I did spend one day working in a grape vineyard one time. Uh, My high school basketball coach took us to his father's vineyard one day to do some labor to uh, earn money for our warm-up jerseys. So yes, one whole day I spent, so I'm pretty sure that makes me an expert. Okay, maybe not. But one of the things that we did learn was how to identify which branches were strong enough to preserve and which were no longer capable of producing fruit. And so the damaged ones were the ones that we cut off and bundled up and burned. So this passage presents us with only two alternatives, remaining attached to the vine or not remaining attached to the vine. Certain branches, faithful believers, are pruned and discipled so that they can bear more fruit. Others are cut off and burned because they didn't continue to draw life from the vine. Those are the two options. There's no in-between options. There's no we'll wait and see branches. There's no option for branches to only be attached to the vine on Sundays. There's no Christmas and Easter only branches. The branches that are not fruitful are useless. And it sounds harsh to say, but if we're not abiding in Jesus, if we're not staying connected to the vine, then we're going to be fruitless in our lives. We want to be the branches that bear fruit, not the ones that are thrown away. Unlike the dead branches, the fruitful branches have a relationship both with the vine and with the vine grower, and they bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? I'd like to point us towards Jesus' proclamation about his mission, about why he was sent to earth. Uh, And contrary to what we think sometimes, it wasn't just to prevent people from going to hell or to get people to go to church. But the first time Jesus made public proclamations about himself was in the synagogue in Nazareth. And I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 4 here. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we see again here this interplay between Jesus as the vine and God as the keeper of the vineyard. God gave Jesus this mission to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as we stay connected to Christ and draw our life from Him, the good fruit that we bear is fulfilling that very same mission. Bad branches don't produce the fruit of fulfilling that mission. If we're not doing those things, if we're not bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, setting free those who are oppressed, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, then we're probably not actually staying connected to the vine. Author Henry Nouwen wrote that God is calling us to dare to proclaim our own irrelevance in this contemporary world. That will allow us to enter into a deep solidarity with the anguish that underlies all the glitter of what we call success and help us to bring the light of Jesus there. In a world and a society that's becoming increasingly individualistic and self-centered, can we dare to declare that we are not God's gift to the world? Can we dare to declare that Jesus Christ is God's gift to the world and that we are completely, utterly, unabashedly dependent Each and every one of us, as individuals, are dependent upon Jesus. We know that we're dependent on him, and I think that we can probably feel that dependence grow as we find ourselves being disconnected from him. Just like the man in the story I told at the introduction to this message, he knew that he had been longing to be connected to Jesus. He just didn't know how to do it. But he knew he had to depend on him. And sometimes our relationship with Jesus doesn't come as smoothly or as easily as we might like, right? Just like our relationships with our spouse or our parents or our children or our coworkers might not come as easily as we'd like. This is why the, the vine grower has provided us with what we call spiritual disciplines, which help us remain connected to the vine. Throughout our life circumstances, uh, commitment to these disciplines can help the vine grower, prune us in such a way that we continue to bear more fruit. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, which is considered to be the foremost text on spiritual formation, Richard Foster writes that there are three different types of spiritual disciplines, the inner, the outer, and the corporate spiritual disciplines. And I'm not going to go through all of them with you this morning, uh, but I do want to mention the four that fall into the inner uh, category. Those are the ones that we practice personally. If we're, overcome, uh, if we're to overcome the resolution confusion of trying to make ourselves better by our own merits, these disciplines, when practiced correctly, are reminders that we need to submit ourselves to the Lord. And so the four inner disciplines that I'm going to talk about real briefly are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Starting with meditation, the word meditation uh, often conjures for us images of uh, practitioners of the Eastern religions, right, repeating a mantra. But that's not what the term means in the context of Christianity. Foster said Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. This usually involves silence and the opening of one's heart to hearing the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I have a real problem with silence. Not just, not just on my own but I do have trouble shutting up sometimes. Uh, But I have problems with silent settings. Something in my nature just revolts against silence. Uh, I'm one of those people who has to have white noise to sleep. Anybody else? Okay, all right, good. Glad it's not just me. Uh, Something about silence is just unsettling to me. Uh, But this is something that we need to do if we're to stay connected to the vine, to sit in silence and hear voice of god the psalmist says i will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds one good option for this is the process of lectio divina that's l-e-c-t-i-o space d-i-v-i-n-a and that means sacred word and it follows a process of reading some scripture reflecting on it responding to the reading Uh, and then resting in what we've read. And if you're interested in more information on that, let me know. I'd be happy to to share some resources, Uh, or you could just Google it. There's lots of great resources out there. But regardless of the process that you follow, take time to sit quietly and listen. Second interdiscipline is prayer. Prayer is the foundational basis upon which our spiritual formation is built Uh, Some people say that that prayer and meditation are synonymous, but uh, Foster distinguishes between the two. He says that meditation introduces us to inner life, but it's the discipline of, of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life creating and life changing. Life creating and life changing. Theologian Peter Kreft says that prayer is as vital to the soul as food is to the body. The problem is that many times we don't know exactly how to pray, like the man with the empty chair. But as he discovered, there's not only one correct way to pray. Find a way of praying that works for you. If it means talking to an empty chair, so be it. The third inner discipline is fasting. Fasting. And this is the discipline where people start to say, nope, no thank you. Uh, fasting refers to the, the practice of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Uh, you can look at me and know that I haven't skipped too many meals in my lifetime. But fasting is something that's commanding of us. Did you know that? Jesus instructs his followers. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites do. Did you catch that? When you fast... Not if you fast. We're told the same thing about prayer, when you pray. We're told to fast in the same way that we're told to pray. And so the purpose of fasting is the idea that it it trains the individual to not focus on the physical and temporal things, but rather to understand our dependence upon God for both physical and spiritual health. One form of fasting, uh, advocated by J.D. Walt, who I quoted earlier, uh, is to begin a fast after dinner and continue fasting through uh, breakfast and lunch the next day, breaking the the fast with a snack in the afternoon. If you're like me and have a hard time skipping meals, that might be a good option. Uh, But fasting is, is one of those disciplines that seems to be rarely practiced in contemporary churches. It's often viewed as being radical. But fasting can take various forms. It can last for various amounts of time. Just like praying and meditation, there's not one rigid set way that you have to do it. Any type of fasting can have the desired effect and be be useful as long as it's being practiced for the right reasons. As with most of these disciplines, it's the position of the heart rather than the actions of the body that are important. Fourth and final discipline I want to touch on <clears throat> is the discipline of study. The discipline of study is all about the transformation of our mind. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Foster says that study involves repetitive reading of scripture, concentration, seeking ways to understand, and then reflecting on that, figuring out how it is that we can put it into practice in our lives. It's more of an in-depth process than simply reading a daily scripture and then checking it off our list and saying, "Ah, yes, I did my Bible study for today. Studies a way of filling our minds with the Word of God in such a way that it informs both our internal and external actions in accordance with the truths revealed in Scripture. An important point to be made here is that the disciplined study of Scripture doesn't just yield theological truths for us, right We're not just studying God's word to try and have debates over Christus victor versus substitutionary atonement soteriology. Y'all with me on that? Okay. Uh, It helps us understand how we should act and react in situations that we encounter each and every day. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I can use help with. So in conclusion, how do we overcome resolution confusion? We remember that it's not about striving and laboring to make ourselves fruitful, but rather putting ourselves in a position where we can gain sustenance from the vine and be nurtured by the vine grower. Practicing spiritual disciplines is not only for our good or to make us better people, but rather so that we can grow fruit, so that we can proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, so that we can set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So are you going to go into this new year in your resolutions? Or are you going to go into the new year seeking a new year's revolution? Jesus provides us with opportunities to stay connected to him. As we go into this year, may we meditate on God's words and works. May we pray for his will to be done in our lives. May we fast so that we can focus on God's provision. And may we study so that we're able to have our minds transformed by truth. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, our true vine, in our need we come to you. In weakness, needing your strength, for we too easily become dry and lifeless without your life-giving Spirit. Jesus, our true vine, teach us to remain in you and to find your life flowing in us, giving us strength and vigor in our discipleship. And as we come closer to you in our lives, let our lives be drawn closer to others. Our minds turn to images of violence we've seen on the news and places of fear and terror, to where people are engaged in conflict over race, nationality, religion, land, or power. Our thoughts turn to all your children, Christians, Muslims, Jews, atheists, anyone living with persecution who face danger. Father, prune back all that stands in the way of peace. For those who are in harm's way, those who live in dangerous places, those who live in areas of war or strife, those who live in fear, those who worry about employment, bills or food and struggle to find dignity in daily life. May your grace bring peace and safety to all people. May your love be like a seed taking root and growing strong. Our thoughts turn to people in leadership and in power who have decisions to make over the economy and people whose jobs and livelihoods will be affected. We pray for our nation and its leaders and for leaders around the world. May they lead with strong hearts and gentle hands and generous spirits, with compassion and mercy and wisdom and grace. May they reflect your guiding in all their actions and decisions. May changes and choices be shaped by values of your kingdom. On our hearts are the people in need in our church, in our community. Wherever hearts are breaking, bodies are failing, minds are confused, families are ruptured, Lord, come with your help and healing. For those who suffer from any illness or disease of mind, body, or spirit, restore these and all those we carry in our hearts to the fullness of health. Health is only you, O God, can bring. May your mercy shower each of us with healing, mercy, and love. For those who are dying and for those who have died, send forth your comforting love. Give solace to those who mourn, console those who grieve. May your grace surround us like a mantle upon our heads, a shawl upon our shoulders, a hand to hold our hand. May your love be like a seed taking root and growing strong. And here too, as your church gathered today, we give thanks for the saints of the past and the fruit that they've borne in our community and beyond. Like them, help us to remain in you that we may be fruitful and bring glory to your name. Through Jesus Christ, the true vine. Amen.
0: And join us.
3: now and love one another, because love is from God. Remain in Christ, and like branches of the vine, draw your life from him. And may God the vine grower tend you and make you fruitful. May Christ abide in you and give you life. And may the Holy Spirit cast out all fear and fill you with God's love. Amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord.